0: there tends to be very quickly um, a desire to hold onto or extend existing assets and often beyond their ideal lifetime. And you know, when the cost of capital is so much higher as it is today, you've got a real challenge putting forward this business case and coming up with a value proposition for investment in technology. But you can actually reframe this problem in a way that's really effective as well. And I really like the way that Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, described this. You know, He came out a little while ago and said that Technology you can be a deflationary force in an inflationary world.
1: Welcome to Bite Size, a series where we highlight innovation across transport, mobility, and smart cities and meet the people that are making it happen. My name is Emily Bobbus. I'm a road intelligence startup founder, and my goal is to combat the stigma that transport is uncool, uninteresting, and uninspired. Well, James, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast to chat with me today.
0: No problem, Emily. Thanks for having me.
1: Can you start off by telling us a little bit about your background, your role, and then things that you are passionate about?
0: Yeah, sure. So James Vincent, I'm the Chief Technology Officer for NCS Australia. So we're a global technology consultancy based out of Singapore, essentially a subsidiary of Singtel. So here in Australia, we're about 2,000 people strong, and that expands to around about 15,000 when you start looking regionally through Southeast Asia and beyond. So our focus is on bringing our clients' digital transformation goals to life. And that's a little bit catchy, but what I mean by that is we look at aspects of technology advisory, design, build, implementation, and even then the ongoing management of technology platforms. We do that across a lot of different industries. So we're active in finance, utilities, healthcare, transportation, and we do a lot of work with government as well. But what that means, if I turn it into something real in the real world, you see us doing a lot of things around things like iOS and Android application development. We do a lot of work with very large-scale data and analytics and insight platforms, so data science, AI, machine learning, that sort of thing, as well as large-scale cloud adoption and modernization for people. So really, it's about shifting organizations into that modern digital context. And my role personally in all of that is that I look after our strategy and vision as an organization to make sure that the products and services we have in market are really matching and meeting the needs of our clients. So I work really closely with some of the larger hyperscalers like Amazon, Microsoft and Google on how do we bring the best of what they do to market in a way that has context and meaning for our clients. My personal passion through all of that is really just about helping people. You know, for me, I do it through the lens of technology but whether it's helping one of our clients with a business goal, or helping one of you know my team members with a little bit of career advice, um, I just really enjoy the idea of being able to help people have a bit of an impact on their lives. And you know, we call it igniting possibilities in in our NCS parlance. But really, it's just about how do we actually get to a better outcome through the use of technology.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's really nice. We have our um, our own version of that as well, which is uh, that we are trying to reduce friction. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, most organisations I think have their own spin on that, which is quite nice. In in your line of work, I'm sure, particularly when we come to new adoption of technologies, uh, you probably do uh, get some friction. Actually, no. what are the challenges for adoption, or or say the barriers to entry for the uptake of new technology? Uh, I can imagine, um, particularly in industries that haven't been disrupted in quite a while, so in, in transport, for example, uh, there's probably a number of common assumptions that might hinder adoption, uh, what, have, what have you kind of come across?
0: There's definitely a key set of themes that we encounter around technology adoption and maybe some of the barriers to do with it. And to me, that sort of falls into three key categories. And the classic one, I think, is is budget and finance, right? Everybody encounters that. But what I mean by that is more around the prioritisation of spend. So if you look at where a lot of organisations are investing in technology there is a very strong prevalence at the moment around investment in cyber, so sort of cyber security and cyber resilience as well. And so often when we see that as a trend through necessity, sometimes the things that suffer are investing in other aspects of technology that may be a tad more transformational for the business. So that stuff really plays out and money is an obvious you know challenge. The other one that comes up a lot is the skills barrier. Right, So even though there are a few economic headwinds at the moment, the reality is in technology, it's still a reasonably buoyant environment for jobs, and it's still quite competitive out there. So we've got a lot of organizations that are looking at things like a cloud adoption program, or they want to build a data platform, and they're trying to compete with a lot of others for the right skill set. It can be very, very challenging. So we encourage a lot of our clients to think really laterally about cross-skilling and upskilling some of their own people, you know, particularly they are bringing in external consultants to make sure that there is an educational aspect to that as well. And really what you're wanting to do is find those people in your organization who are willing to give new things a try. They're willing to experiment because often it's your existing staff that know your business best and they're the ones that are, can actually help you have the greatest impact through technology as well. So I think those two, you know, the money and the skills are the big ones. But a lot of it, you know, you mentioned this notion of organizations that maybe haven't had to change for a while and haven't had to, you know, go through a disruption cycle. Often there's a lack of awareness around the possibilities of what the new technology can do. And they're not necessarily thinking creatively about all of their options as well. So, you know, we deal with a lot of clients where they have a pretty good understanding of what it is they want to do and where they want to go, but they just really don't have the ability to evaluate what all the technology can do out there. They're not sure what's proven and mature, and they're really not sure how to best adopt it into their own business and their own organisation. So definitely that aspect of awareness and thinking creatively about problem solving.
1: I think you're right that it's very easy to get into a bubble, particularly in industries that are well established. So it kind of, uh, there almost needs to be some some training or, or like awareness around uh not getting in getting stuck in those those bubbles to begin with.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's a conscious thing, you know, that organizations can do is to, you know, encourage their people to investigate, explore and to, you know, keep those skills relevant and modern as well.
1: So on that, this is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. So There are some people who uh, are very much kind of against technology. I know this is a binary example, but then there's also other people who want to apply it kind of indiscriminately in a very macro way. So with the assumption that all new tech is good and helpful across all areas of a business. Uh, We've seen a lot of that about this with AI or generative AI, where companies are trying to integrate AI into like every process, even if it might not be appropriate. And I think it raises a really good question around what are some of the strategies to ensure that the tech that we do adopt adds targeted value?
0: Yeah, this is so true. Um, you know, there's a bit of a trend I see, um, particularly here in Australia, where we get a lot of organisations and the executives within those organisations tending to follow what they see others do so Brilliant. you know maybe others are moving to cloud so they move to cloud others are building data lakes so they build data lakes and those things in and of themselves and it might be the use of generative ai right they're not necessarily a bad thing right so the the heart's in the right place but what they haven't necessarily done is thought deeply about how they want to leverage that technology specifically for their business Right, so how can we actually get the best value out of those technology sets and are they being used in the right way? You know, the other example was the classic notion of shadow IT, You know, where business wants to move but IT is moving too slowly so the business tend to go out and just start purchasing their own technology and then it gets a little bit scattered and unstructured and perhaps not as targeted as well. The unfortunate side effect for me as a technologist, when I watch this happen right, I get really frustrated because <laughs> They tend to blame the technology. They say, yeah, we tried that and it doesn't work. The truth is, it's not the technology. It's the application of the technology. So often they'll, they'll pivot. They'll go, oh, that tech didn't work. We need another tech to solve this problem that seems to be unsolvable. But in reality, it's actually the way they're going about solving the problem. So in terms of strategies, you know, and I think your example of generative AI is a really good one, right? It's really pertinent in industry at the moment. I think it just comes back to this notion of thinking really deeply, right? Because what we tend to see on generative AI specifically, there's a lot of what I call incidental use. you know. So that might be people like you or I using it to do a little bit of research or get a quick summary view and understanding of something. But there's not many people using it to really drive transformational business outcomes. There's a lot of things you have to consider if you want to do that, right? You have to think about, Well, how am I going to train it on my corporate knowledge base? How am I going to keep this thing safe and reliable, particularly if it's going to be customer facing in any way? And how do I operationalize this technology, right? What's going to make it really effective and how do I go about making that happen? So I think the really big thing in all of this is to not discourage the adoption of technology, but encourage people to collaborate, talk about their ideas share those ideas in open forums, showcase the things they learn and encourage really strong debate across the organisation as well.
1: I think that ties in quite nicely with what you'd mentioned previously about uh, the education gap and that it's, it's sometimes not the tech as much as we'd like it to be the tech, but it's actually us and we haven't kind of uh, been educated in a way uh, that allows us to, to leverage the value that that tech might bring. I know that there's people who, uh, we'll go back to the generative AI example, Um, say with mid-journey, which is the image generation one that you can type in a prompt. And if you don't know the right prompts to use or the right words to get particular outcomes, people then get frustrated because they're like, well, it doesn't work because it produced this weird image, which was not what I wanted. Uh, And it's, I think, trying to almost retrain that you can't just use it maybe how you've been using uh, Google or, or other tech. It's quite interesting.
0: It's absolutely fascinating, you know, this whole notion of prompt engineering. It's almost like a new art form, right, within technology. And the other aspect of that is the technology does constantly evolve. So, you know, things that were difficult to do two years ago are now so much more accessible and easier to do. You know, we see a lot of this across in particularly the realms of AI and machine learning where the tooling has improved enormously in recent years.
1: We've talked about within organizations, but what about broader than that? So do local and or even global economic environments impact, say, the rate of adoption of, of these technologies and the investments in them? Uh, for example, how might the current inflationary business environment affect the uptake of, of tech?
0: Yeah, look, economic cycles impact tech uptake enormously, right? I think whenever you're looking at economic headwinds you know be it an inflationary business cycle like we have at the moment or large levels of government debt whatever is fueling that there tends to be very quickly um, a desire to hold on to or extend existing assets and often beyond their ideal mm. lifetime and you know when the cost of capital is so much higher as it is today you've got a real challenge putting forth this business case and coming up with a value proposition for investment in technology but you can actually reframe this problem in a way that's really effective as well. And I really like the way that Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft described this. You know, he came out a little while ago and said that technology can be a deflationary force in an inflationary world. And what he means by that is technology can improve your business efficiency, reduce operating risk, and it can create opportunity as well. So you can apply technology in ways that actually improve your staff productivity. They get you greater business outcomes or customer outcomes. And you can see this through things like the COVID pandemic, right? When a lot of organizations had to rapidly pivot things like fulfillment channels to be click and collect, right? As opposed to the more traditional in-store experience or organizations had to facilitate their staff suddenly working from home or working remotely in a really large scale way. So those who had invested in the right technology sets were able to adapt in that way. Whereas those who hadn't found it really challenging, right? And there was enormous competitive advantage to be had if you actually targeted your technology investments correctly. So to me, despite a difficult economic cycle, I think it's really important to look at how technology can actually improve business and make it more viable. And then ultimately, if you get that right, what you want to do is take those savings that you make through the right investment in technology and then use it to create opportunity to do some of the more interesting uh, take up of technology around some of the emerging opportunities that are out there.
1: So a little bit of leveraging R&D, maybe. <laughs> well, it's 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 a
0: really interesting thing, right, when you look at this because you, you kind of can zoom out with this land and say, okay, so thinking beyond an individual business, right, during tough economic times, what is the role of, of government and, you know, fostering this notion of R&D at a national level, right? And I think, you know, it, it's really challenging, right, like as obviously your audience would be, You know, very comfortable talking about things like large-scale infrastructure programs and transportation and that sort of thing, right? And in that industry and in that world, public and private partnership is so crucial. So when government starts to constrain spending and you see that slowdown, it's really challenging because that's always going to have a trickle-down effect. But I think, again, this notion that if we can bring to light the value proposition of technology to actually help us navigate those tough economic times and do things more effectively and more efficiently it actually unlocks some really amazing opportunity as well.
1: We've seen a lot of of technology-focused businesses recently kind of pursuing layoffs or even pivoting away from emerging tech, so what could be maybe considered higher risk. Uh, so uh, what do you call it, AR, or um, what is that acronym again?
0: <laughs> Aug- augmented reality. Aug- augmented
1: reality, thank oh, you.
0: All those things, yep.
1: It's too many acronyms. Um, Innovation in general, in favour of opportunities that have traditionally lower risk profiles, how can we kind of encourage this balance between scale or growth? So investing in riskier things (laughs) with, say, longer term business goals. So I think that kind of ties in quite nicely with what you've talked about with strategies and um, value creation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Look, if I start, with this notion perhaps of some of the downturn in the industry and some of the layoffs and all that. It it is a definite trend. Um, Obviously, it's concerning. We hope it's largely run its course at the moment, but I've personally seen this impact some incredibly talented people in industry, and sometimes it feels a little bit indiscriminate. But one of the things I found to be a little bit disturbing about the way this actually unfolded in the tech industry is that it wasn't Just some of those emerging technology areas that were impacted, but the other one that I saw heavily impacted was anything to do with the ESG space, right? So around the environment and sustainability, right? Whether it be reporting or whether it be genuine decarbonization program. So it's really, really interesting to see the things that do get impacted, the things that, um, organizations perceive perhaps to be not core to their business. The moment they encounter that sort of tougher economic environment. What we do tend to see in the tech industry at the moment, though, is it's more about reshuffling focus from one thing to another. So some of those areas that have maybe a higher perceived risk versus things where we really are seeing a lot of traction and take up in industry, right? So refocus on AI, maybe improving the tooling around generative AI or even data science um, underneath that as well is really important. So in terms of the strategies that we can put in place, around ensuring that we do maintain investment in some of those more innovative technologies, it's always going to come back to the value proposition, right? And I think for me, I look at some of the things that we've been doing, um, like virtual reality by way of example, and they're incredibly compelling. And so I think with that value proposition in place, the opportunity will always come back to pursue these things one of the examples that I like to describe to people is a piece of work that we did recently around building a virtual reality representation of a train station. So this was a proposal for a new uh, train station that was going to be built. And the traditional way that you do this, if you want to start exploring how do you optimize the design for commuter egress or signage placement, is you go and get a big warehouse space and you build a physical replica of a train station and you walk through it and you move things around. And it's cumbersome, it's expensive, it's slow. And even though you can walk through it, it doesn't really give you the true experience of being on a train platform. So we actually created the same thing in a virtual reality space. And once you get past that thing that, well, hang on a second, I'm putting on a headset and this is a little bit disorienting. Once you actually find yourself in that really immersive virtual reality world, we can actually create the ambience of a crowd. We can create the trains arriving and departing from the station, we can do things like announcements over the PA, and you can physically walk through this or virtually walk through this environment. And it's really easy to do things like changing signage placement, changing the color of signs, looking at this from the perspective of someone who's in a wheelchair and might have different accessibility needs to you or I. So that sort of use case, I think the ability to do experimentation and design optimization ahead of physical construction. Not only can it save an enormous amount of money, but it can lead to a much better outcome for um, consumers and the public in the long run. That sort of stuff just simply won't happen if people turn away from the technology and say, oh, there's no value proposition for virtual reality, so we're simply not going to do it. You know, And I think metaverse was all the rage up until generative AI became the rage. And truth is that you're always going to see some of those trends and some of those pivots. But ultimately, coming back to the value proposition of the tech is super important. So when I'm out talking to clients about this notion of balance and encouraging scale and growth, I like to talk about the idea of having a spectrum of risk. In other words, there's always going to be a set of technology things that larger organisations or government departments are doing. And it's super important that consciously some of those things are a little bit more cutting edge or, you know, a little bit more unique and targeted to their business. So massively important to be investing in core proven and safe technology, things like, you know, the large scale cloud adoption and the data platforms and the analytics that we discussed earlier. But it's really important as well to think deeply about what are some of those things that are more unique, because that's how you're going to get those transformational outcomes that can actually create a bit of brand differentiation for your business as well. You know, so I see this a lot in the realm of AI. You know, there's a lot of really good use cases for AI, but a lot of organizations are still unsure of where to start or, you know, how do they take that set of first steps and what should they be aiming to do? So I think we take that view that it's okay to not be certain. It's okay to do a bit of experimentation as long as you are spreading your spectrum of risk and as long as you are focusing on being creative and trying to do something unique and interesting.
1: Would you say that? one of the key things an organization can do to make sure that even during times of of high input costs and inflationary pressures that innovation is not cut back on is by making sure that it has a, a targeted problem yeah. that it's solving and having that problem be something that could benefit the core activities of of the business.
0: Absolutely. I mean I think it- it's a really logical sequence and a logical way to approach that. You know, it's always going to be a little bit unique to each industry, but it's so important that your investments in technology are actually grounded in a fundamental business use case. You know, we used to see in the past a lot of large-scale technology investment where you take on these big two- or three-year programs of work. You'd build a platform or, dare I say it, a framework for, for something. And it would be very unclear. And there was a long time between the investment and the return on the investment. Often during that time, technology shifts, technology changes, your staff change, the objectives of the business change. So I think the luxury of doing things that way no longer really applies. And so what we need to do now when we're looking at building out larger scale technology capability, we need to break it down into core functional building blocks that allow us to say... The value demonstration of this particular piece is really obvious. It's grounded, you know, like you sort of said in a one, in a fundamental business use case that's relevant to our business is going to solve a problem for us or do something that's meaningful. And I think often that can be quite challenging to determine and define in terms of the, you know, more cutting edge aspects of technology adoption. But in many cases, it's actually reasonably straightforward to demonstrate the use cases for modern technology, because often it's around solving problems that traditionally have been quite challenging to solve, or bringing a new and innovative approach to solving those problems as well.
1: This question is about like what, what do you think the key takeaways are for the listener from this episode? almost feel like one of them could be this idea of uh, the importance of communication throughout all this, because there are lots of important things around strategy and, and tech and education, but I feel like they're all underpinned by this idea of communication. Uh, do you think that's kind of a correct note to leave it on or are there any other key takeaways you think that I've missed? I
0: I think it's super important, right? Communication is always going to be key to actually getting a positive and long-lasting change or transformation in an organisation. But to me, I think one of the other things that I would really highlight for listeners as well, I think one of the real shining lights at the moment is that In terms of the technology itself, I think the access to the technology and the effectiveness of it is so much stronger today than it's ever been in the past. You know, all the things that we talk about today, you know, around things like virtual reality, artificial intelligence, machine learning, they're all very real and they're out there in the community, they're out there in the real world, they're achievable and they're having genuine impact in business right now. And I think if we combine that with this theme of the economic outlook as well, You know, there's so much uh, lamentation in Australia at the moment about the loss of productivity. You know, you see all these articles about the Australian workforce is just not productive enough. What can we do to boost productivity? I think people are overlooking the role that technology can play in solving for that. You know, coming back to this notion that technology can be a deflationary force in an inflationary world, you know, the ability to improve staff efficiency, get better customer outcome, those things boost productivity. And I think to me, the real key takeaway for people is to say, it's okay to experiment. We should be experimenting. The technology is very promising. It's accessible and it's achievable.
1: Awesome. So how can people connect with you or or learn more about anything that we've chatted about today?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, You know, can have a look at our website, ncs.co, or it might be easier to just search NCS Australia. Or if people want to connect with me personally, reach out on LinkedIn.
1: Well, James, thanks so much for your time today. Super interesting conversation about technology and the role of adopting new tech as uh, as things change in, in any industry, really.
0: No worries. Thanks, Emily. It's been good fun.
1: If you'd like to learn more about any of the guests that we have on the podcast, more about Bite Size, or more about Compass IoT, the company that produces this podcast, you can visit our website, which is www.compassiot.com.au. Until next time.